Awesome, awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We are going to be in Habakkuk uh, this morning. We will finish up uh, the book. Finish up the book of Habakkuk. We'll be in chapter three. Um, we'll jump into verse seventeen here in a few minutes. Um, but just trekking through, kind of walking through this uh, verse by verse, chapter through chapter here, um, as we'll, we'll close out this book. Uh, last week we just see Habakkuk out of nowhere just starts to break into song. He just starts to worship. God as he reflects on all that God has done and all that God's going to do. And so he just, he begins to worship. And there's this weird song. Okay. <laughs> there's this, something fail. Um, take two. Um, but there's, there's this weird song that he just begins to sing. He just begins to just pour out his heart to God and sing. And so as we've seen Habakkuk through the book, it's, it's, it's as if Habakkuk has done a, one, a complete 180 now. He's completely at a different place when it comes to God, when it comes to his sovereignty, to what he's doing, to, to how God's going to work, how God's going to uh, uh, accomplish his will. And so he finally gets, Habakkuk finally gets to this place where he's just saying, God, do what you're going to do. God, do whatever you need to do. I know that you're for us. I know that you love us. I know that you care for us, but do what you have to do. I know that you're going to lead us into ultimately needs to happen, and, the, and in the end, justice will prevail. You are holy, you are righteous, and that's the place where Habakkuk lands. He finally just rests in the reality of who God is, rests in the reality that God's promises are going to come true, and God's going to do exactly what he said. And so this morning, we're going to press into, and we're going to look at, at something that I believe that all of us, as we grow, as we, uh, once we're saved, and we begin to grow and follow Jesus, that we need to be in tune with. That, that we need to press into, and that's spiritual maturity, that we, we need to be growing and maturing in our faith, in our walk with, with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to really dive into this morning, and there just needs to be some uh, difficult work to do. There needs to be some, some things that we're going to look at, some things that we're going to visit and talk about and just really dive into. As, as the reality is this, every single one of us in this room, we need to continue to progress in our walk with Christ. We need to continue to grow and mature in our relationship. And so we're going to see a few things from Habakkuk here that we can take and we can apply to our life, that we can allow God to just work in us in accomplishing maturity in our lives. So I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me this morning, and then we will jump into Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for your love and your grace. God, we thank you again for another opportunity to gather as your people. So, Lord, I just want to pray and ask you, God, to do a work in this place this morning. Father, I pray you start with me. God, help me to grow in you. God, help the men and women that are going to hear your word proclaimed this morning. God, help, help them to grow. Father, that, just pray your Holy Spirit falls heavy upon this place, heavy upon the hearts in this room. Father, that you would do a work and you would press us closer to you. God, that you would help us grow and mature in our walk with you and our love and desire and our obedience to you. And so, Father, we thank you for this sweet little book that we've been able to walk through, this very difficult book. But, God, it's one that we need. It's one that we need to see and learn. It's one that we need to walk through. And so, Father, I pray for us in this room that the same thing that happened in Habakkuk's heart will happen in our heart. God, that we'll land at that place where you're enough, where your plan, your will, as difficult as it may be this side of eternity, we will recognize and understand that it's perfect. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. God, be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 17, we'll read, kind of talk a little bit, and then we'll start to uh, dissect some things. So Habakkuk 3, 17, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on its vine, 
And so let me try to paint a picture. Let me try to explain what's going on here, um, of, of what's happening, because what, what Habakkuk is telling us is that it's not pleasant. This is not a, a good picture. This is not a good thing. So when a fig tree, when it produces fruit, it's also going to produce And so what he's saying is that there's no figs, which means that there's going to be no blossoms to come. And so what Habakkuk is telling the people, what he's telling us, is that that day stinks, but tomorrow doesn't look any better. That that day is horrible, that that day is difficult, but what he sees on the horizon isn't any better. He, he doesn't see it getting better anytime soon. And so we live in this culture that's quick fix, isn't it? We live in this world that it, we want it now, we wanted it yesterday, it should be here. I mean, the crazy thing is I sit there on Wednesday night getting ready for Thanksgiving. You can start your Black Friday shopping on Wednesday now. I mean... How, I mean, have you thought about how crazy that is? I mean, we've already pushed it back to Thursday, starting at 6 o'clock, but, but now you can get the early, early, early Black Friday deals on Wednesday. I mean, how does that work, Black Friday on Thursday, when it's Black Friday? But, but is that not our culture? Is that not our world? We want it here now. We wanted it yesterday. We go to a restaurant and we order uh, fast food. The fast food's never fast enough. We go to a sit-down restaurant and we order, and the sit-down slow restaurant is still never fast enough. We always want it now, we want it quick, we want it fast, and especially if there's something difficult or trying or hard for us, we want that to be over as soon as possible. But George, I want to press you this morning because I believe with everything in me, it's through the difficulty and struggles that God helps us see all so clearly our great dependency upon Him. We live in this world where we want to be finished. We want to be out of anything that's difficult, anything that's trying, anything that, that may be hard. I see it in my little boy all the time. If it's something too difficult, he just kind of checks out. He just kind of stops. And so we have to teach him. We have to press on him. No, no, buddy, you press in. You try harder. You continue to walk through. Yes, difficulty produces perseverance, and that's a good thing. So, but we are no different, are we? We live in this world where anything's difficult or hard or a struggle. We just want to be out of it. But I believe that God does great work in those moments. I believe that God does a great work in those times. God transforms us and does his work in us during those times of difficulty, in those times of trying, in those times of struggle. And so what Habakkuk is saying is, man, it's difficult now, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And so he goes on, he says this as he continues in 317. He says, uh, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off. From the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Uh, so I want us to feel the weight of this verse, what Habakkuk is talking about. So just a quick biology lesson, biology 101 right here. Um, if there's no crops this year, then there's no seed for when? Next year, right? If there's no crops this year, if there's nothing producing and there's no crops to be gathered, then what that means is that there will be nothing for next year. If the sheep don't like one another, then guess what? There's no more sheep. If there's no loving in the barn, then there's no cattle, Right? That's how this thing works. And so that's what Habakkuk is telling us. Today is difficult, but it doesn't appear to be getting any better anytime soon. And so I don't know where you're at with the scriptures. I don't know, maybe you're a little skeptical this morning as you walk into this place. I don't know where you're at. But, but what I love about the scriptures is how honest they are, is how true they are. I mean, they don't try to paint a picture. I mean, have you, have you picked up the Bible and read the scriptures? God doesn't hide things tuck him away. He doesn't try to make us guess. God is upfront and honest, and that's exactly what we see taking place here with Habakkuk. 
here with Habakkuk. He, he is honest and he's telling us the truth. It's not rainbows and fairy sprinkles. It's a true picture of a fallen, broken world. And God's people are about to be took. God's people are about to be captured. God's people are about to enter into a very difficult time. And so it gives us that picture. It gives us a better understanding of this world that we live in. And aren't, aren't we happy for that? Aren't we happy that it doesn't say everything's great, everything's perfect, everything, everything will, uh, is just grand and glorious, but we have dark days of the soul, do we not? We have difficult times. We have struggles. If we're cut, we bleed. We know that to be true, and so what does God's Word do? It shows us and it directs us even in those moments. So for you in this place this morning, maybe that's you. Maybe you've entered into a difficult season. Maybe you're in a place of struggle. What I would say to press you this morning is don't try to short-circuit it. Press into God all the more because He's wanting to accomplish and do something in you far greater than you could ever imagine. Man, allow this to be a time of just pressing in and allowing him to, to work on you, to shape you and to form you. Allow him to refine you through the fire of difficulty and struggle. Oh, he will make you so much more like him in this difficult time if we would just engage and allow him to do the work that he needs to. That we would learn and grow in what he's teaching because he's loving and he is gracious. And what I've learned in my walk is that he is loving and gracious enough to let me walk through that again if I don't learn the lesson the first time. That, that he cares so much more for me than I could ever imagine that if I don't learn the lesson that he's trying to teach me in this difficulty or in this struggle or in this time of battle, whatever it may be, that, that he is loving and gracious enough to allow me to walk through it again, maybe in a month, maybe in six months, maybe in a year, but he's good enough to allow me, cares enough for me to allow me to walk through that again because he wants to shape and mold me into something far greater than I could ever imagine. Something so much greater than I could ever imagine. And so what we're going to see is Habakkuk's response. And it's going to be pretty, pretty amazing. Remember where he was in chapters 1 and 2? Remember the struggle that he had with God? As he begins to speak, as he begins to share, says, God, are you just sitting back idle? Are you just watching what's happening and, and turning a blind eye or turning a deaf ear to what's taking place? Or are you not engaged and with it? And, and, and God rises to the occasion and says, oh no, Habakkuk, I see exactly what's happening. And I'm not sitting back idle. I'm about to move and do a work. And so they get in this conversation back and forth, and God allows Habakkuk to know up front what he's going to do. And what does Habakkuk do? He struggles. He has a difficulty with who God is and what God's doing. He really struggles with what God's plan is. Now look at how he responds here in verse 18. Listen to how he responds here in these difficult times as they lie in front of him in verse 18. He says, yet... Knowing everything that's coming, knowing everything that's happening, talking about what he sees on the forefront, everything. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Say what? It's difficulty coming, but there doesn't appear to be a let up. And look at Habakkuk's response. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. So he goes from, no God, you, you wouldn't do you couldn't do that. You, you would never allow that to happen to, I'm going to rejoice in the one who is in control of all things, who is sovereign over all. I'm, I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to be glad in that. I'm going to rejoice in the one who has got everything under control while he's working out what he has planned. Even if it's difficult, even if there's going to be struggle, 
even if there's going to be battle, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. What a heart change, is it not? What a heart change to get to that place. I mean, how many of us like just celebrate, man, I'm in a struggle, I'm in a battle right now, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. He is good and he is faithful and he is, I mean, who celebrates like that? And, and now we see Habakkuk's heart turn to that place. Look at what else he says as he continues. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's rejoicing, he's going to have joy in this moment. He's going to rejoice that they're about to be took and be held captive by a wicked nation and people. And he's going to have joy in that moment? There's going to be joy in his heart? Are you kidding me? This is so anti-American, is it not? This is so countercultural than the world we live in. We get pricked for a moment, or we have a difficult day, or we stub our toe, and we fall apart. Not to mention something like this happened. And to see his heart rejoicing in the Lord, taking joy in the God of his salvation. And so what I want to do, I always want to, I always want to point us to this reality I always want to point out and show us what's taking place here because this word is a very big word, and I believe it's a word that, that we lose in our culture, in our world, this whole thought of joy, especially in this quick-fix culture or in this celebrate-through-everything on social media-type culture, and we always look joyous and joyful and happy, but, but, but there's a big difference between joy and happy, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, but whenever he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation— what Habakkuk is saying is that there's this deep-seated satisfaction and contentment in God. No matter what happens, no matter what takes place, no matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, no matter the struggle, I'm going to be satisfied and content in my God. So Habakkuk says there is great joy in his God, who? The God of his salvation. And so salvation in every circumstance or situation, that's, that's what he's going to celebrate. Man, I've got salvation in my God, in my Savior. You can't rob that from someone, can you? I mean, you see it in Paul's writings all the time. You, you just can't touch the man. You, you, you can't disrupt him. You can't upset him. You can't frustrate him. You can't throw the Apostle Paul off at all. You arrest him and throw him in jail. Then he gets all of your guards saved, so you can't do that. You beat him, and then he says, thank you. Who would consider me even worthy to endure half of what Jesus went through? So if you beat him, you, mean you can't even get a head up on him on that. So if you leave him alone, he just keeps going on and preaching the gospel and the spread of Christ continues. You threaten to kill the man. He's like, well, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, you can't touch the dude. Why? Because he's got joy, a deep-seated contentment. What in the God of his salvation? He's got salvation in his soul. His heart belongs to Christ. And Habakkuk has landed at this place, the God of my salvation, the God of my rescue so I just love this. I believe that there's so much that we can learn from Habakkuk. And then look at where he goes as he presses in all the more. Verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And so what we see here is Habakkuk finally has nestled in to God's plan and provision, even in this difficult time. I mean, look at the verbiage that he used. God the Lord. I mean, he's settled the reality that, that, that God is in control of all things. He's the Lord. Whatever he says goes. Whatever he does is right. It is good. He is the Lord. He is, what, my strength. He sustains me. He gives me strength and power and stability. That's what, it's through God. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So into the reality of who God is. 
God's with him, that God's not going to forsake him or leave him, but that God is going to be there every single step of the way. So I don't know where we're at, church. I don't know what difficulty, I don't know what struggle, I don't know what God's doing or stirring in your life or what he's got over the next horizon, but what I do know is this, is that God's not going to leave you. That God wants to do a greater work in you than you could ever imagine. And that's what we see taking place here in Habakkuk, and Habakkuk gets it. Habakkuk lands at a great place. And he ends the book with saying this, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so what we know about Habakkuk, it's a book of discipline. It's a book of God's wrath. It's a very tough book. And here at the end, I believe we're getting a good picture of what Christian maturity looks like. Uh, of what, what it means to grow and mature in your faith. Because we know like maturity can be kind of a muddy thing. It can be a difficult thing to understand or to kind of get our head around or to, or to, or to fully grasp. It can be confusing. And maturing in the faith is, is much like physical maturity, right? It's, it's difficult. It's painful. How did we grow and mature? As I, as I, I had the privilege and honor of raising a, a seven, my wife and I, a seven-year-old and now a four-year-old. I mean, maturing is tough. I mean, I didn't remember it being that difficult whenever I was that age. I mean, I'm sure it was. But helping those little boys see, I'm, I'm trying to help them grow to be strong, ferocious. Lord. And so everything that we do is there's a plan and a purpose behind it. And so helping them, uh, helping raise them and grow them. And there's sometimes it's okay for them to be little boys, but sometimes, I mean, they can't always act like the way they act sometimes. And so it's difficult, it stings, it's hard. And, and maturity for us as believers is no different, is it? It's God. It's God over us, leading us and helping us see and helping press us in certain areas. And, and it can be difficult and it can be painful. I mean, I, I get that. I know that. And so just, just want to assess kind of where we're at. We'll just talk for a moment about something I believe is very, very important. So how, how do we know if we're maturing in the faith? How, how can we be certain and know we're set on that path of, of growing and maturing in the Lord? Well, the first thing is you've got to be saved. You have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It was so awesome. I had a, had a gentleman come in this week, and we got to talk a little bit, and he begins to share his story, and he's like, uh, like Scott, I just need to talk for a moment. He's like, God's doing some stuff in me. I just, I just, I just want to be saved. And it's so cool because he comes in, and he's sitting there, and he's been here for the last few weeks, and just hearing the gospel proclaimed, and, and God just opens up his heart to the reality of his need for him. So last Sunday, what he does is he comes to service, and he leaves, and he goes down, and he sits by the river, and he's like, I'm down there for like three hours, and I'm just praying, I'm just trying to figure this thing out, and I'm listening to some Christian music and, I'm, and stuff like that, and, and so I get a call from him Sunday night, saying, hey, man, I, I really need to talk, and I said, Bo, Monday morning, first thing, let's do this, and like, I was thinking, I was going to get to lead this guy to the Lord, God already led him to himself, it was so awesome as I sat there in my office, and he's sitting back there with us today, Cody Waters, and he's sitting there, and he starts to share with me all that God was doing. And, and I'm like, dude, I can't lead you to the Lord. You've already found him. Or wait, he found you. He got you. And as he sat there, and he began to hear the gospel over the last few weeks, I just opened up his heart to the reality of his great need for him. And I'm like, dude, salvation is just believing in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Seeing yourself as lost and undone and sinful and in need of a Savior. I'm like, have you done that? He's like, man, I've done it. He did it down by the river last Sunday, Sunday evening. And God just rescues him and saves him from his sin. Just, I tell you that story to tell you this, that you cannot begin the trick of maturity and growing in Jesus until you're Jesus's. Until you belong to the Lord you can't mature in something that you're not. You just can't do that. You've got to come to the place where you realize and you see and you're aware of your condition of lostness. 
turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 real fast. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul is pinning this letter to the believers there at Ephesus, and this is what he says in Ephesians 2, 1. He says this, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. What condition were you in? A person's dead. A church, a lost person is not alive, cannot respond to, to anything other than sin and self. There is no response to God. There, there's, they're lost and undone. They're, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, in which you once walked. So he's just reminding believers there at Ephesus, hey, th- this was your condition. This is how you used to be. You once walked. Look at the past tense there. You were dead. You once walked. All past tenses used to be the condition you were in. And so as I read that, as I thought about that this week, man, what that should do is should give us a, a compassion for the lost world. When the lost world acts lost, what it should do is give us a brokenness over that reality for them. Man, we should be compassionate. We should care. Because we're reminded that we were all in that place. That's what, that's what Paul tells the, the believers there. That you once were like this. You were dead. You were in your sin and your trespass. You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Just reminds them this is how it used to be. This is, and so judgmental Christians, that's how they get saved, right? That's how we, we so lovingly show the world that they're lost, is we judge them and we treat them different and we act mad at them and we don't, all of that type of stuff. That's, that's what the scripture teaches, right? Absolutely not. Because how effective is that? None, right? I mean, who wants to be treated like that? We don't even like it in the church, do we? So why do we do it outside of the church to the lost world? Now, we should be compassionate. We should be gracious. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying because I'm not saying you just turn a blind eye and you let people live however they want to live and do whatever they want to do and you don't call out sin for sin. But as a believer to a non-believer, there's a right and good way to do that. There's a loving and gracious way to do that. And usually it should be done relationally. We engage and we join and we start to walk with someone that's lost. And as we walk with and we earn favor and we model for them what it looks like to live out Jesus and to be loving and gracious. And as we do that, then we start to earn their ear, earn their favor. And then we can begin to share and and tell them of what Christ is like. And we can tell them of their sin. Not in a way, but in a loving and gracious way. And I I don't believe that that's right and I don't stand for that. I mean, I love you and I care about you. I'm going to continue to journey with you, continue to walk with you, continue to share the gospel with you. I mean, and you, you can't scare me off. You can't run me off. Why? Because I'm committed to Christ. And I love him. And as I love him, I'm going to love you and walk with you. And we have opportunity to share. It reminds him again, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that was us. And what was the best way to reach us? Loving and gracious, caring for and walking with. He says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so Paul says here, this condition of lostness is a result of being dead. It's a result of being dead, and dead people don't mature. Dead people are just dead, right? Lost people are just, they, they don't mature. In, you can't into something that you don't belong to. They need to be brought to life before they can progress. They need life in them. And so my fear today for the church is that there's way too many people in that condition. Way too many people currently in that condition. 
standards like you realize you can't be saved until you understand that you're lost. And so if there's no brokenness, no conviction over sin, no desire to obey and follow Jesus, then chances are you're probably not his. You probably don't belong to him. And so that's why week in and week out, I'm always going to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to beg of you to hear the gospel, to, to allow God to, to work you over with his message, with his word. Uh, the scriptures say to work your uh, salvation out with fear and trembling, not to try to confuse or try to tell you you're something that you're not or encourage you that you're something that you're not, but, but just to, to say, man, check yourself. Check your, check your spiritual temperature. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you not belong to Jesus? Is there a desire and longing for the things of Christ in your life? And so in order to progress and mature, you've got to be his. And then look at what Paul says in verse 4. And he always gets it back to God because that's where everything changes. That's where everything changes. He says, but God, this is your old condition. This is how you used to be. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So God is rich in mercy. God cares for the broken, cares for the, the, the downtrodden, cares for the sinner. Because he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And his love poured out upon us. Listen to verse 5. And I just love this. And this is just what completely and radically changes me. I just love to hear verses like this. And God uses even now, some 20-some years of being saved, just to remind me of his, his greatness and his glory. Even when we were dead. Okay, so God merciful God loving with great love, even when we were dead. So when we understand what a dead person is to God, a dead person to God is an enemy of God. An enemy, and I don't care how sweet and nice a lost person is, they're still an enemy of God because they're, they're going in a way contrary to God. No matter how good and cute and nice and dolled up they get, they're still an enemy of God because their heart and their life and their soul has not been rendered to him. But even when we were dead in our trespasses, just dead in our sin, we were dead lost, he made us alive together with Christ. God, even in that, us to that reality of our great need for him, and he makes us alive. He says, by grace you have been saved. I think the thing that blows my mind about this, whenever I read scriptures like this, when I look at this, when I was thinking this week about maturing and growing in my faith, and asking myself that tough question, Scott, are you, do you belong to him? How do you know you belong to him? And church, that's what, I, that's what I would ask of you. Are you his? How do you know you're his? How do you know you belong to him? And the thing that just blows my mind when I recall uh, when God saved me, when God rescued me, it's not that God got me when I was at my best. Oh, no, he saves me when I'm at my worst. He saves me when I'm no good and I'm dirty and I'm filthy. That's when he comes for me. That's, that's when he gets me and rescues me. Not for what I can be or what I could become, but for what I am in that moment. It's lost and undone in my sin, in my trespass, uh, an enemy of his. I mean, who goes for their enemy? Not to destroy him, but to love him and care for him and rescue them. That's what our God does. He's not hateful. He's not mean. not bitter. I mean, look at the words used. Grace here. Mercy, great love, not just love, but great love. He says, by grace you have been saved. Grace is just unmerited favor. It means that there's nothing in us, nothing in us, nothing, absolutely nothing. Just because God is good and for whatever reason he decides 
I want you. And he comes after and he awakens in us that reality of our great need for him. Our great need for him. So how do you know if you're maturing in the faith? One, you're saved. Two is this. Now you're in a process. The moment you cross from death to life, you enter into a process whereby God changes you, shapes you, molds you into the image of Jesus. So the reality is this is the maturing process should be one of those things that we look less like us, less like the world, and more like Jesus every moment of every day in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we respond. All of that should be more like Jesus and less like us. There should be a desire for obedience, a longing to follow him, to worship him, to make much of him, to desire him. There should all of those things be taking place in our heart, whereby we look less like us and more like Christ work of the Holy Spirit. There's a number of ways that's happening. And so it's a two-part process in this whole uh, maturing road that we take. And the first part, part in this maturing process is, is God's part. And so what happens for us as believers, the moment we come to faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. So God puts himself inside of us. Why? To lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to draw us, to show us, to help us, to strengthen us. All of those type things starts to happen. He draws and disciplines, he empowers, all of those things. What I've learned in my walk and my journey is this, is that God wants it for me far more than I want it for myself. You get what I'm saying? God wants me to mature far more than I'm wanting to mature. Like it's crazy, like in my my little boy's heart, my seven-year-old, we've got a four-year-old, and so it's so funny, it was not funny, it's kind of sad, to watch in my seven-year-old how he'll drop down sometimes and be like a four-year-old. And I'm like, dude, four-year-olds are not cool. Four-year-olds are cool, but not in this moment, you know? Like, like dude, four-year-olds are not cool. It may look fun, but, dude, you're seven. You're seven. You, you shouldn't be acting like a four-year-old. You're, you're pressing eight, and you're about to turn the corner, man, and it's going to be, oh, eight's when it all happens. I don't know. I'm just, like, trying to build up, you know, try to, let's get him there. It's excitement to look forward to, buddy. But it's so easy to drop down to the four-year-old. We're no different, are we, when it comes to growing and maturing in Christ? And usually the reason why it's like that is because it's difficult and it's hard. But what I've learned about God is he wants us to get there far more, got more passion and desire for us to get there far more than we want to get there and be there. And so he's going to do his part. He's going to press us on. He's going to challenge us. He's going to discipline. He's going to convict. He's going to encourage. He's going to empower. He's going to do all of those type of things. Which brings me to the second part, which is ours. And, and there's disciplines in the faith. There's disciplines in the faith. Like, like, we need to be disciplined. We need to be seeking, walking after. Like, like we've got responsibility. I know we live in a world where it says you're, you're a victim and, and you have no responsibility and you shouldn't have to answer for anything. But that's contrary to what Scripture teaches. We've got Christian responsibility. There are things that we need to be doing. Our responsibility as we pursue holiness, as we pursue maturity, as we pursue Christ. There's our part that we have to we play a role in. Now, of course, it's with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's with God's direction, it's with God's prodding and, and convicting and drawing. But he's going to empower us, and he's going to give us the Holy Spirit to, to live in us, to press us toward maturity, toward the things of God. But we still have to do our part. We still have to spend time in prayer. We still have to spend time talking to God, around God, uh, asking God to move, telling God how great and glorious and grandy. We just need to talk to him. We need to have conversation with God. We need to spend time in the Word. Time in the Word, growing and knowing what God says. 
It, it blows my mind how malnourished the church is today. It blows my mind how malnourished we are. How we don't at the table of the Lord. I mean, it, it blows my mind. And I want to be how ignorant we truly are when it comes to the faith. How little we know. Like, like, it, like it's 2019 and the internet's there. And so, I, I mean, there's no excuse for us, if you ask me, right? There's no excuse for why I'm not first. There's no excuse for that. I mean, everything is just that, no, we need to be careful what we search and what we go after, but, but everything is right there. And I think the, the illustration that I always give that just blows my mind, and, and I'm a dude, so I can go this way. We're just dumb guys, and we just don't, I'm not good at reading, you know? But we can read about our team, and we know, we know the four-string running back for Clemson, don't we? And we know the backup in waiting next year at, at his high school. It's not even starting this year. That'll be a senior next year. It's going to be his year, and he's a five-star recruit. Like, like, we know who's coming, don't we? How do we know that? It's not just osmosis and God grants us that. No, we read and we study and we look. So, man, us being dumb Neanderthal men just doesn't work anymore. But because we are educated and we can read and we can press in and we can find out and we can, we can go after the things that matter most to us. Yeah, we can. Yes, we can. And the way that I know that is because I live that way. The dumb facts in my head blow my mind. Just ask my wife. Just ask her. I mean, stupid stuff. Like, like I wake up every morning with a new song in my head. I don't know how it happens or why it works like that. Every, there's a new song. And I, like, know the majority of the lyrics to that song. And it could be from the 80s. The 90s or today? I mean, it, like I was a part of that culture. That, it's just there. The dumb facts that I know about the team, about Mountaineers back in, in the 90s. I mean, what does that have to do with anything today? I mean, just the crazy stuff that just resonates and it's there. So it's not that we're not educated or smart or just can't remember. It's that we don't have the desires. We just don't have the want. We don't play our part. So our part is spending time in the Word. Our time, part is prayer. Our, another part of our part is corporate worship. So this, when we gather to hear the proclamation of the Word, where we gather to lift high the name of Jesus, where we sing and we're reminded of His glory and His greatness. Uh, another way that that's a discipline of the faith is giving, whether that be financial or that be acts of service inside the church, outside the church. Uh, our resources, all of those things are parts of us growing and maturing in our faith. Personal discipleship, finding people to walk with us, to help us grow and mature in our faith. And so I just want to press you here because maturity has nothing to do with your age or time in and around the church or things of the faith. I don't believe that necessarily does it. See, maturity has to do with where you are in your walk with Christ, how you live the person of Jesus out in this world. That's where maturity is. Let me try to illustrate with what, what I mean here and and how the waters can kind of be muddy and difficult at times, especially around maturity. And so, so some would say, well, maturity is just knowing the Word, brother. No, you just know the Word of God, and that's how you know you're a mature believer, which can be true, which can also be not true. And so if you understand what the Bible is, that it's true, but if you don't understand what the Bible is, then it's not true. Let me try to illustrate. The Scripture's pointing to someone Absolutely, that's true, right? That, that's, that's very true. The scriptures terminating on themselves, that's sinful. That's, that's vanity. That's wrong. 
John 5, 39 through 40 says this. It says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He said, you know the scriptures, but the scriptures are telling of me. Me is Jesus there. You think that you're good just because you know the scriptures. No, you need to know me is what Christ tells them. So you've got solo scriptura, which means the whole point is just to know the Bible. That's sin. Just to know it. But then you've got sola scriptura, which means it points you to Jesus and it furthers your relationship with Christ. That's not sin. Just to know the scriptures for the sake of knowing the scriptures. Sin, but to know the scriptures for the sake of Christ so that you can live them out and be obedient. That's maturity. That's growth. So do the scriptures make you mature? Yes and no. Yes and no. And probably everyone in this room knows that brother and those people that knows the Bible, but you wouldn't trust them with your kids. You know what I'm talking about. People that can quote you a scripture or quote you a little verse or, or throw it up on Facebook or throw this little thing there or, or tell you about all these scriptures, but, but the chances are you wouldn't let them watch your kids. Why? Because they don't live that way. They talk a mean game. But isn't talk cheap? Without follow-through, without action? I mean, isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but you don't live like Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm compassionate, but you don't show compassion to the least of these? Oh, I'm gracious, but you won't give grace to your next-door neighbor? Regardless if they're a bum or not? Who cares about that? We've got something greater going on. We've got the gospel that sets the captive free. So is maturity knowing the Bible? Yes. Is maturity knowing the Bible? No, because if you don't do something with that, whereby you act out and you live out what you've read, what you've heard, what you know to be true, then what good is it? What good is it? And so what I want to do is to close this morning is I just want to look at two signs of, of Christian maturity real quick from our scriptures this morning. So back to Habakkuk 3. We'll start in verse 18. Habakkuk 3, just to walk through these for just a second and point out, I believe, just two signs that are just blatant here in the scriptures this morning of what it means to be a mature believer. And the first one is this, our joy is set fully in Christ. Our joy is set fully in Christ. Maturity, we've got a joy in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Verse 18 says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There's joy there. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so as I mentioned earlier, joy, right? We need to make sure we understand the difference between joy and happiness because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is moment and based on circumstance, and joy is not. Joy is found in the everlasting reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And you can take everything from me, but you can't take my relationship with Christ. You can cut my tongue out, poke my eyes out, deafen my ears, but you cannot keep me from talking to my God and fellowshipping with my Jesus. You just can't steal that. You can't rob that from me. I'm his and I am in him. And you can't do a thing to upset that. And so too many people, too many people want God for what he can do for them or what they can get out of him. That's where it gets a little bit money. That's where it gets to be difficult. Too many people just want God for what he can do for them, what he can give you. The mature, mature person does not use God like Aladdin in a, in a bottle. Like a genie in a bottle. We don't use him like that. God is, is not used for a means to an end. God is used for, for God. I want him. 
And, and so things like this, like, like if my kids just act right, or God, if my finances get better, or God, if my marriage is better, and if we come to God that way, giving him an ultimatum or expecting him to do a thing for me, we miss him in the whole thing. God, I just want you, regardless of what else happens in my life, regardless if my job gets better, regardless if my finances get stable, regardless if my marriage works out, God, I want you for you. And you're enough. You're enough. See, we can set ourselves up because we believe God for something that he's never promised us to do or be. We've got to be very, very careful and guard against that. The goal always has to be God. Yes, absolutely. But it's Jesus. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is enough. The second sign of Christian maturity is this, and it's found in verse 19. The second sign is this, is that our strength is in the Lord. Verse 19, our strength is in the Lord. Look at what Habakkuk says again. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on high places. It's getting to that place where you realize that he is your strength. He is your sustenance. He sustains you. It's getting to this place where I can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God can come through. Only God can change me. Only God can transform me. Only God can morph me into what he wants me to be. And so I believe one of the reasons why we lack maturity is because we're far too confident in ourselves. We think far too much of ourselves. We are self-sufficient and quick to forget that apart from God, apart from Christ, there's nothing that can be done. He is the one that gives breath in the lungs. He is the one that allows the heart to beat, to pulsate blood through the veins, through the organs. It's God that allows. And we think that we're something or that we can do something when apart from him we're nothing. The epidemic of self is why we don't pray well, why we're hungry for the scriptures, why we struggle walking through suffering. It's, it's why we think God has betrayed us and, and when things don't go our way, it's why we lack in giving. Is because it's because it's us. Look at what we've done. Look at what I've made. Look at what I've worked so hard for and done and give so much energy and effort into. And we forget that it's God. It's all God. And that's where Habakkuk lands. God the Lord is my strength. Have you relied on him as your strength, as your sustenance, as your everything? As the band comes, I just want to read a verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is talking to the Apostle Paul here. He's writing this to the church at Corinth. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How is God's power made perfect? In weakness. In weakness. He says, then look at how he responds to that. This is, what, this is what God told the Apostle Paul. And look at how the Apostle Paul responds. He says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You're talking about maturity. I mean, I like to think of myself as being mature. I don't know if I'm that mature. When, when dark nights come or difficulties fly in the face of. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm, like, I'm pretty far along. I mean, I'm a pastor of a church, for goodness sakes, right? Like, I should be, shouldn't I? But God is so quick and loving and gracious to remind me, dude, you've got a long way to go. Scott, let me show you. And that happens. Oh! Darn it. All right, God, I got it. I'll do better next time. Ah, oh, I did it again. 
And God ever so subtly reminds me, dude, just breathe. I've got you. I've got this. I think the crazy thing for me over the last months, I'd say seven, eight months, year, has been, God, do whatever you have to do in my life to help me to rely on you more. Help me be more dependent upon you. I wouldn't recommend you praying that unless you're serious about that. Being honest, like, it's like that patience prayer. Oh, God, help me pa- have patience. Oh, he'll help you. 85 at 3 o'clock. All of Bourne Springs is there. The drive-thru at Chick-fil-A anytime, right? Just saying. You want patience, he'll, he'll, he doesn't just give. He's gracious and loving enough to help you see and understand the, the real working of what happens there. And so for me, it's been one of those things of God, God, help me to be more dependent. Help me to be reminded of my great need for you. And what does he do? He allows me to see that. How about circumstances and situations, difficulties and struggles? Hell on earth. He, he lets us see it through those type of things. And my belief is whenever I read this and I see what Paul's talking about, that's, that's what he means. I want to mature. I, I say that with my lips, but my heart kind of wrestles with it a little bit. Yeah, I want to be mature. Until I really need to be mature and what that process looks like. Yeah, I want more of Jesus until I realize what that looks like and what it means I'm going to have to cut out of my life and what I'm going to have to give up and what I'm going to have to do. And the beautiful thing that we see here in this scripture with Habakkuk is that God is gracious and loving enough and he engages him and he pulls him to that place. He answers our boy Habakkuk. He doesn't just leave him out there to wander. No, Habakkuk, I'm doing something. Well, what are you doing, God? And God tells him, like, no, God, you would never do that. Oh, Habakkuk, mark it down. I'm going to do it. No, God, you would never. You're loving and gracious. Let me tell you who I am, Habakkuk. And he shows Habakkuk who he is and what happens. Habakkuk finally gets to the place when he realizes and he sees that all hell is going to break loose, that all difficulties are coming, that this is going to be awful. When was the last time you were held captive by another country? You were paraded off, family murdered, people left for dead, you'd be hunger. Habakkuk knows and he sees what's coming. And Habakkuk lands at the place of, God, you're enough. Whatever comes my way, God, you are enough. And he takes those steps in maturing. So may you press in and allow God to shape you and mold you. May you do your part because I guarantee you God's doing his. God is behind the scenes wooing and drawing and ever so slightly whispering, Scott, just stop for a moment and pray. Scott, just pick up the word. I want to tell you something good, but that's where you're going to find it. Not on a little Facebook post, but in my word, I have spoken. And you need to hear from me. God, I need you to do this. I need you to act this way. I need you to help that person. But God, do you know that person? Yeah, I know that person. I created that person. That's why I need you to help that person and be in that person's life and do for that person. Why, God? Why would you do that? Because I want you to get to a place of where you grow and mature in me and you respond in a way that brings me honor and glory. So may God press in. May he shape you and mold you. And may you allow him. Whatever the difficulty, whatever the work of that looks like in your life, may you allow him. Father, help us this morning in this place to see our great need for you, to be reminded, God, the reality is this, is that 
you want it for us far greater than we want it for ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that the desire of this place, the desire of the men and women, God, even my desire would change. Help me want more of you and less of me, less of this world. God, help grow us and mature us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Franklin's going to lead us. You stand. You respond. If you want to come pray, if you want to talk to someone, if you need to know more about what the gospel means, I'll be here. I would love to have conversation with you. But you be obedient.